We thank you that you are indeed a living God, not just an idea, not just a teaching, not just something which came long ago and we remember, but a truly active and living God who is alive and working today, will be tomorrow and will be until you redeem the world and call us all home. We praise you for that, God, and pray that we, in our humble, humble ways, can reflect a little bit of who you are, both back to you, to each other, and into the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, please be seated. So, I was up too late last night, which wasn't a good thing because already we were exhausted from moving and all that. Uh, and so when you're up already too late and exhausted from that, you end up sleeping past your alarm an hour and a half. Uh, so that's how our day started. <laughs> but also last night I was hemming and hawing. That's not a phrase I use very often. But it's a fun one. What exactly does a hem sound like? What does a haw sound like? What, Roland? Mm, that, that's Oompa Loompas. Anyway. And I was debating what to preach because obviously, you know, today was coming. And I decided a couple things. <clears throat> One, I decided not to have PowerPoint. Because it's been forever since I've just stood up here and preached. I mean, we value PowerPoints, and are they good? They're good. But it's been a long time since I've just been a Bible. The second thing I decided was that, well, I'll tell you what I didn't decide. I'll be honest. Coming to this day, I got some feedback by what I should preach. <laughs> some of it was... Uh, I, I had one person just say, just, show, just don't show up. I'm here, obviously. I wouldn't do that. There were some people who suggested uh, that I go out with a bang of various types. It was suggested to, uh, I want to say how they said, let, let certain ideas at least or certain people in the congregation have it, whatever it means, which I was like, Jesus? No. And I decided that no matter what the situation, the only thing that I could preach today is Jesus. As much as there will be people in the church, there will always be things to condemn. There will always be things to celebrate. But Jesus is constant. And God is God, no matter what's going on in our lives. So today I want to leave you with a Jesus sermon. Because I don't know how to do anything else. I don't know, some of you, uh, I'm not even going to pretend to guess ages. 1961, John F. Kennedy challenged the U.S. to get to the moon and back by the end of the decade. One of the things that strikes me, and it's a bit overused cliche uh, anymore, but one of the things that strikes me is that when he was at Rice University and giving the famous to the moon and back speech, he described what the journey would be like of shooting three men in a rocket, 300 feet tall, to the moon, going incredible speeds. And the thing that always stands out to me is two things. One, the resolve of President Kennedy to say, this is what we should commit ourselves nationally, meaning a shared national goal, meaning resources, meaning vision, meaning work. But also what strikes me about that speech, and I watched it a couple of times last night, was that when he's describing the journey to the moon and back, he is describing something which was not possible at that moment. He actually said that the spaceship would be comprised of metals and alloys not even invented yet. Pretty audacious. 
for something that had never been done. Pretty audacious for having no idea how it would be done. Pretty audacious for what the space race would mean, not just in terms of human development and not just in terms of prosperity, but also in terms of we're looking at a possible space war with other countries had multi-layers. The thing is I want you to focus on from that, and I do invite you to go back and watch the speech. He challenges Congress in May 1961 to, before this decade is out, land a man on the moon and return him safe to Earth, and then he later that year focuses at Rice University. I do invite you to watch the speech. It's on YouTube. But what I want you to focus on from just this little moment today is how, as many of us, well, at least remember, some of us were were present and alive at that time, about what that did, about seeking a goal that was by all means at that moment impossible, and rallying around a vision of what could be possible. You see, Christianity is not that much different. Because what does it mean to have your sins redeemed? Do you know? I mean, you may know, but do you really get it? What does it mean to love as God loves? you really have any clue? I don't know that I do. Like, I can tell you about it. I can tell you Scripture says all over the place. I can tell you examples. But I have no idea how to love like God loves. What does it mean to be transformed into the image of God? By all means and shapes and ways, by what we know, Such an audacious goal is impossible. Yet all things are possible with God. Let me ask you this, and I don't mean this in a condemning way, I don't mean this in a I don't mean this in any other way just besides to get you to think, alright? If I were to ask you, why are you here this morning? If I were to ask you why do you come to church, if I were to ask you what's your motivation, if I were to ask you any of that. I'd probably get a plethora of answers, particularly on a day like today. Once again, not to be condemning and not to do anything other than make you think, where is because I love Jesus on that list? I'm going to happen hazard a guess and say that for some of us, it probably wasn't one of the top few things. Now, is that bad? No. I'm not saying that's bad. What I'm saying is that when Jesus was asked, what's the most important thing? Now, granted, there's context of this. If you go to Matthew 22, which I invite you to, we're going to be in this, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 13 and 1 John 4 this morning. Heavenly Father, as we hear those sirens, we're mindful of the people who have devoted their lives to help those in need. I pray that you are with them, that you guide them, that you are with those who they are helping, and that uh, you are present in the situation, and that you all things to the best that they can be. In Jesus' name, amen. What's the most important thing? As many of you know, 
keeping laws. And I've preached this before that all of those laws were there not to create a law book, not to create a, a checklist for you to be able to say, yes, I'm right with God today. But all of those things were made, were put in place in order that you may, if you were an Israelite, if you were obeying the law, that you might be reminded that holiness, that God-like character permeates every aspect of your life. There is not an aspect of your life that is not touched by God, somehow, some way. Whether it's food, whether it's family, whether it's parenting, whether it's physical intimacy, whether it's bodily things, whether it's death, life, whatever it is, it is touched by God. There are 613 laws, 613 commands. Isaiah reduced them to 11. Pretty good. Micah reduced them to three. And when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest command? Teacher. Now, granted, there's some context to this, like I said. Did you notice, if you go to this uh, passage, that the parable of the wedding feast, paying taxes to Caesar, the Sadducees asked about the resurrection, this is what I would call doctrinal issues, in a sense. Jesus teaches uh, by parable, which is a little bit different than doctrine, but paying taxes to Caesar, he's trying to be tricked into admitting something, and especially when the Sadducees get on about the resurrection. This is doctrinal issues. This is, well, who is more righter? Who is best? Who is, who is right? And Jesus is like, guys, it doesn't matter. You're all, he's like, you're all wrong. But then the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees and gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Now, this was meant to test Jesus. This is getting down in the minutia of, all right, we're going to talk Scripture, make sure that you know who you're talking about, we're going to trap you, try to discredit you. That's the context. But yet still, the question was asked, what is the greatest thing? What's the most important thing? He had 613 laws to choose from. Or he had 11, or he had 3. All good. And he distills it down to two. Something we know very well. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. And this is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. I guarantee you that's not what the Pharisee, the lawyer, was expecting. Both in terms probably of scope, but also in principle. What does it mean? What does it mean to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself, and thereby fulfill the entire law? Do any of us really know? Do you really know? We know because of Jesus' life what love is. And we've talked about it the last few weeks. <clears throat> love requires action. Love requires Humility, love requires presence, love requires vulnerability, love requires a great many things. As a matter of fact, one thing I didn't preach on because I knew this day was coming was 1 Corinthians 13, something which is far too often misused, not misused, but you know, used in wedding ceremonies as opposed to 
other things. And I use it in my wedding ceremony too, so I'm guilty of it too. But Paul says, and I want to start in verse 27 of chapter 12 in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire and higher gifts. Now hold on just a minute right there. This is not an accusation, but simply an observation. Too often we confuse love and loving God and loving each other with doing things to each other. Action is a part of love, yes, but too often we get caught up in these lists. We get caught up in these positions. We get caught up in these titles. We get caught up in these peripheral things. And we call it loving God and loving each other. Is there an element of that? Maybe. But then Paul says, and still I will show you a more excellent way. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, look up and says, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and deliver up to my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. What does this tell us just offhand about what love is, about what Jesus is, what it means to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself? It says two really obvious things. It says that God is not impressed so much as what we do, but how we do it. And he's not so much impressed with what happens when we do something, but who we are becoming when we are doing it. Let me say that again. God is not so much impressed on what we are doing, but why we are doing it. And he's not so much impressed at the result of our actions, so much as who we are as we are doing it. Who we're becoming as we're doing it. Look what Paul says. He's saying, if I can do amazing things and yet I have not love, nothing. It's worthless. Let me put that in modern context for a minute, and I don't want to step on toes. I can give all the people of Corvallis clothes, but if I have not love, it's worthless. I can have the best PowerPoint, I can preach the best sermon, but have I not love, I am nothing. We can serve all the people food. We can teach kids the best Bible curriculum. We can do all sorts of ministries. We can fill this room, but have we not Love, worthless. Ouch. It says it's possible. I'm not saying we do it. I'm saying it's possible. Remember in Matthew 7, 21, when people have come to Jesus and said, Lord, Lord, all these things I have done in your name. And then Jesus says, get away, I never knew you. Why? Because they were able to do, yet not become loving. Become like Christ. Paul writes, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. Is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. 
Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. What we say, what we do, it's only temporary. As for knowledge, it will pass away. But we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, means the complete. I love this word in the Greek. It means the complete. It means the fulfillment. It means, in essence, when God makes all things right. That's the big picture of what that little sentence means. When God makes all things right, the partial will pass away. Meaning, that which is only temporary will cease to matter. And the only thing that will matter is what has always mattered to begin with. Which Paul is saying is love. Which is Christ and God. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Obviously, he's saying this is not something, I'll come back to this in a minute, this is not something we just get. How None of us need that reminder. When you become a Christian, obviously, you're good to go, right? Now we've seen a mirror dimly, but then face to face, now I know in part, then I shall fully know, even as I have been fully known. What is Paul saying here? He's saying, in essence, that even though we can grow, even though we can do things on our own, even though we can impact this to an extent, this is impossible as far as we're able. I know in part, but now, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Paul is saying, even as you are striving, even as you are growing, even as you are developing in this, and even as you're messing up, God still fully knows you. So now, faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Brothers and sisters, especially nowadays, let me speak plainly for a moment. Things that sometimes we care about are not what the people in our world are asking. I was telling someone the other day, and I'll maybe step on some toes, I'm sorry. You know how many times in my life I've been asked by a non-Christian, well, does the Bible really say that you need to sing without instruments or if the instrument's okay? You know how many times I've been asked that by a non-Christian in my whole ministry time? Zero. Only from church members who care. Is it a question? Sure. You know how many times I've asked about communion or how we do things you know how many times I'm asked about the doctrinal things which we put on a pedestal you know how many times I've been asked by non-Christians about the things that we fight about and debate about and split over you know what I'm asked by non-Christians you know what I'm asked by people all variations of either why does what you believe matter And why are Christians not more loving? Jesus came and did. But it wasn't what he did, which is why we worship him, just why we worship him. It was because of who he is, was, and is. Too often... People get the version of Jesus reflected by his church that ends up being a clanging gong or a noisy symbol. Is ministry bad? Is work bad? Is doing things bad? Are PowerPoints bad? No. But if there's one thing I would tell any congregation anywhere, 
is that if we have not love in such a way that people see that and go, I have never seen that in the world. There's something about that. I want to know the eunuch in Acts 8. <laughs> the eunuch in Acts 8, he's sent from his queen, right? And he's a eunuch. If you don't know what that means, ask someone, ask Ryan, okay? <laughs> Better yet, ask Finley or Aiden, because I'm sure they'll tell you. At least they'll make something up. He's a eunuch, all right? You know how important being able to have a family and reproduce in the Jewish system is? It's like everything. This guy is getting nowhere near the temple, all right? He's getting nowhere near where God is. But what does he do? He goes, and this is Acts 8, by the way, if you want to make a reference. He goes and he buys himself a Bible. He buys himself the scroll of Isaiah because he wants to know what's going on. And he's reading it, and all of a sudden, Philip appears. I've always thought it's weird that the eunuch was like, you know, hey, what's up? Philip's like, do you understand what you're reading? The eunuch goes, how can I unless someone explains it to me? And we believe that he expounded Jesus right from Isaiah 53. And did you notice, do you notice in that story that when the eunuch comes to water, he doesn't ask, do I have to do that? He doesn't ask, well, if I do this, and what's, you know, um, what will I have to do? Will I have to come to temple, or will I have to, do I have to give, or do I have to, you know, am I going to run the kids' ministry now? <laughs> what does he say? Do you remember? In essence, he goes, hey, there's water. Can I have what you have? He goes, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip goes, nothing. When was the last time? And maybe it was yesterday. And if it was yesterday, praise God. When was the last time because of something, rather someone, someone looked at our congregation, someone looked at this and went, can I have what you have? Can I be a part of what you are part of? Can I be what you are? Can I live like you? I don't want to condemn us, but you know how we get that response? Love. Love. Loving in a way that supersedes time and space. Loving in a way that introduces people to Jesus at that moment. Not if they come and come to church and if they be a member or if they're even baptized or if they give. All that's garbage. If we love as Jesus loves, as Jesus is, as Jesus is, lives. It's the only thing that will last and it's the only thing that can supersede the clanging gongs that we so insist on banging. Why love? Why? Because First John 4, I'm not even going to turn to it because I think you know. Well, that's a lie. I'm going to turn to it because it's worth reading. Amen? Amen. <laughs> I don't amen you a lot. I should have been doing that. Amen? <laughs> Beloved, verse 7. Let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God... Say it with me. Because God is love. That's why love is so important, brothers and sisters, because it's not just something we do. It's not just something that we give. It's not just a ministry we can flip on and off. 
If we look at the temple story, if we look at the Jesus story, if we look at the creation story, we were made to reflect the image of God into the world. We were made to be God's image in the temple of the world that He created. What's the last thing you do with the temple of a God that you create? You put an image of the God that you're worshiping into it. That's what God did in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Well, Genesis 1 and 2. 3 went off the rails, as we know. We were made to reflect the image of God. What's another way to say that? We were made to reflect love itself. Remember last week I talked about love is the very intrinsic fabric of the universe? We were made to reflect the very intrinsic fabric, the very intrinsic nature of God. That's why love is so important. Not just something we do, but it's something we are, because if we are, then we are like God. So why are you here this morning? Very rarely have I heard stories of people coming to the church and becoming a Christian solely because, well, I got food or I got clothes. That's an introduction. What has kept you here? What keeps you at a place? What keeps you and brings you back? Ideally, is it Jesus? It should be. Well, but are we ideal? No. I'd be willing to bet if I were a betting man. No, I'm... Forgive me, I'm mentioning betting in the church. I'm sorry. If I were a betting man, probably 75% of us are here because we have relationships. Because we have people we care about and people care about us. People love us, and people we love are here. There's a reason it matters. Jesus said the greatest and first commandment is to love the Lord your God, your heart, with all your soul, soul, heart, and mind. Why? Because if you love God in everything that that means, you will become like God. And then if you become like God... When you love your neighbor, you're not just doing something which is possible for you, but you are transcending time and space and doing the ultimate thing which is impossible on our own accord. Truly loving someone else as yourself, as you love God. Anyone ever read 1 Corinthians 13 and go, love is patient, love is kind, and you go, hmm, I'm batting like 100. <laughs> Any parents on Sunday morning like hate to hear First Kings of thirteen because of like how you got out of the house with your kids, and you're like, oh, I just messed all that up. <laughs> Why? Because it's impossible with us. We can do it every now and then. The goal, the goal of being a Christian is not just to go to heaven. The goal of being a Christian is to become like. God himself on earth right now toward each other and toward the world and that is something which I stand before you and just like (laughs) in a whole other sense just like President Kennedy I stand before her and I go that is impossible as far as we are concerned except because of a man named Jesus Christ it is possible so brothers and sisters do you remember nothing else from anything Remember the answer of why are you here? And I challenge you to make that answer the same answer as why do you 
do anything? Why are you anything? Why are you doing this? Why are you that? Because you love God. You love Jesus. You love each other. Why? Because love is everything or nothing. A loving congregation with the love of God can change the world. Brothers and sisters, it's been a hard couple years. I feel like in many ways you've gotten the worst version of me that's ever been. Not just because of COVID, because of many things. I apologize for my shortcomings. I'm sorry for unresolved relationships I have with some of you. I'm sorry for the ways that I screwed up. I'm sorry for the words that I had when they were short, whenever I was upset. I'm sorry for the ways I wasn't there for some of you when I should have been. But I can honestly, as best that I know how, assure you that I have tried to love you. And I've tried to love God through this time. And if that's all we can ever say about anything, that's not a wasted life. Brothers and sisters, I leave you with the words of Jesus. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Amen.